In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, we haven't heard from Ole Olson for a little while. He's up there in up north, St. Cloud, Minnesota, you know. And Ole went to see his doctor for his annual Medicare physical. And then later in the day, he was walking downtown, and his doctor was downtown walking along the sidewalk. He said, hell, Doc, I'm seeing you everywhere I go now. Isn't that something then? His doctor said, yeah, how's it going? And, and uh, Ole says, yeah, how's it going with you? And he said, uh, good, but Ole apparently... You know, not as good as you because Ole had a beautiful blonde on his arm walking along, strutting along and grinning. Probably not doing as good as you, Ole. Ole says, just doing what you told me, Doc. He says, what do you mean what, do you mean what I told you? He said, well, you know, you said, get a hot mama and be cheerful. And Doc says, oh, Ole, you've got to get your hearing checked. I said, you've got a heart murmur. Be careful. <laughs> so sometimes we hear what we want to hear. My old colleague Jim used to say, yeah, we hear what we want to hear, and we don't hear what we don't want to hear. And I bet there's some wives out there bobbing their heads up and down right now going, well, that's true about my husband. You know, I call him for dinner. He's right there. I call him to take the trash out. Not so much. And those kids, they call him for supper. Yeah, they're there. Tell them they got to do homework and go to bed. Nope, they don't hear that calling very well. So we hear what we want to hear. Today's gospel lesson is about calling. Again, last Sunday we had John's version of Jesus calling his disciples, and this Sunday we have Mark's version of calling his disciples. Jesus goes, and there's Peter and Andrew and their dad all sitting around. They're mending their nets. They're gill netters, and so they get holes in those nets pretty readily. And they're sitting there doing that. Jesus comes by and says, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And they drop their nets and drop everything and follow Jesus. I don't know if their dad was kind of irritated with that. Well, there goes all my help. Nice going, Jesus. But anyway, they did. And maybe they were looking for something. Maybe they were tired of smelling like fish every day. Or maybe, maybe they wanted something a little more exciting than that. Whatever it was, they were ready and they followed. Maybe it was, maybe it was more like when I was in college. And we decided to go on spring break. My friends Bobby and Kevin and I. They were young juniors. I was a senior, so really I was just there to chaperone. But uh, anyway, we were going on spring break. We were traveling down the interstate by near Atlanta, and a car of girls came by, and we were yelling at them, going 80 miles an hour, you know, getting to, to know them. We said, pull over at the next restaurant. We'll get something to eat. So they did. And they said, where are you guys going? I said, well, we're on spring break. We're going to Fort, Fort Lauderdale. And they said, yeah, we're on spring break too. We're going to Daytona Beach. And at that moment... We all felt called to Daytona Beach. And so we went there. And even though that those relationships didn't work out very well, then we, we were walking up to get our noon meal on the boardwalk, and three co-eds from Central Michigan University came walking along. And as they met us, without saying a word, we all turned on our heel and followed them. <laughs> maybe it was something like that. They were, maybe Andrew and Peter were looking for something. We were. Uh, we didn't have any female companionship at the senior college. We thought this was great. They were looking for something in their lives, and then they found it. I think the issue is that for a lot of us, we would worry that if we have a calling from God, that might mean that we have to do something we don't like. That there are, there are people who have callings like, you know, me. If you're a professional minister, you have a calling, but everybody else has a job. That's not true. That's certainly not the way the Scripture looks at it, and it's not the way Martin Luther looked at it. 
Martin Luther said there is the royal priesthood of all believers, that all believers are priests and have a calling. And the Bible is amazingly uninterested in what our second calling would be. It's interested in our first calling, that we are called to be a follower of Jesus Christ in whatever vocation we have. That's kind of the second calling. But it's the first calling to be followers of Jesus, to be Christians, wherever we are and whatever we do, that's secondary. So, but I think sometimes we're afraid of that, that if given a chance, God might, you know, put us in a situation that we don't like. That if we turn our will and lives over to the care of God, God might do something really stupid with it, like make us have to be a missionary to New Guinea or Africa or some darn place, or be a street corner preacher in downtown Indy or something. That, that if given a chance, the Lord would strap us into a straight jacket of vocation that we could never escape from and would feel trapped. But that's not what Scripture talks about. And that's not the way it was. The disciples didn't feel trapped. They felt privileged. They felt excited and they were willing to do anything and endure anything. And in fact, they did because it was that good. So we don't have to worry that God's going to strap us into some vocational straitjacket. He's not going to do that. I was able to uh, listen to a talk one time from uh, Christian author Barbara Taylor Brown. And she said this business of calling really plagued her when she was younger. And she didn't know what she should do. Should she be a, a pastor or a teacher or... She kind of liked writing. And so finally she said, Lord, what do you want me to do with my life? And she said it was an interesting thing. She doesn't know how, but the message came into her brain somehow. And this is what it said. It said, do what pleases you. Belong to me, but do what pleases you. And she said it was amazing that the Lord would want her to do what was her passion, which was writing. And so she became a Christian writer and has been a great influence on a lot of people. But th that, that the Lord wanted her to do that, which, was, which made her happy, which, which made her feel fulfilled and that she liked to do. Another Christian author and theologian, Frederick Buchner, said, uh, this is a good quote, listen carefully to this. He said, our calling is where our deepest gladness and the world's hunger meet. Say that one more time. Our calling is where our deepest gladness and the world's hunger meet. So if you're a Christian farmer, that's pretty easy to say where that's going to happen. <laughs> you know, the world's hunger is literal in that sense. And if you're a Christian teacher, the hunger for knowledge and, uh, you know, education, uh, you can meet that hunger. If you're a, a, a Christian homemaker, the world needs kids who grow up in, in a functional, godly home. If you're a Christian factory worker, the world needs good products and somebody who can talk to their fellow workers about the Lord. Whatever it is that you're doing, do it as a Christian and do what you, do what you want. Do what brings you gladness. And somehow the Lord will make that match a need that the world has. Now, that does not mean that our calling can't change or grow or develop, because it certainly can. The disciples didn't stay the same as they were. They didn't go out and do stuff right away. They followed, they watched, they listened. The Holy Spirit came to them, and then three years later, they did stuff. 
They were much different people than they had been before. That's okay. We will grow. We will change. We will end up being able to do things that 10 years ago we would say, oh, I, would never, I could never do that. Yes, we can. Because we will grow and the Lord will help us do that. And those things will then become comfortable and exciting. I give you an example, a real-life example, from my own semi-real life. Even though I started out to be a, a Lutheran minister, and I knew I was going to do that in sixth grade. I can't tell you how I knew. I just, I knew somehow. And I left for home. I just turned 14 and started prep school. I knew I had 12 years to go to be a Lutheran minister. But at the end of that, I kind of knew what I was going to do, I thought. I was going to be a pastor of a nice congregation and then a pastor of a big congregation and then, you know, maybe I'd be a bishop or something else. Who knows? I had all this stuff. So I get done with seminary and there's no calls for seminex guys. So I go and farm with my dad for half a year after this 12 years of education, which didn't seem quite right. And then I was called to a mission congregation as a worker priest in Jamestown, North Dakota which is, as I've told you, not the end of the world. But you can see it from there. And so Jamestown, I'm, I'm a, a part-time minister working 44 hours a week in building construction. And finally, I wanted to get inside because it's cold working building construction in North Dakota. So I applied for chemical dependency training. The only state hospital in the state of North Dakota is at Jamestown. Psychiatric chemical dependency, large hospital. I applied. They said, no, you got this church. You can't do it. Well, then I applied a year later as a chaplain resident, and they said, well, yeah, we're okay with you having a, a part-time church. So I was in there. Once I was there, they said, where do you want to do your um, chaplaincy work? I said, how about chemical dependency? They said, good, nobody else wants it. So I did that. Once I was there, they said, well, maybe you can do it since, you know, you're already doing it. So I finished up my training. I was a certified chaplain. I was a certified addiction counselor. had a few years parish experience. And then I saw an ad that says, we want a spiritual care counselor who's an addiction counselor, chaplain, parish experience, and has denominational endorsement. I looked at my wife and I said, somebody in Muncie, Indiana, wherever that is, wants me. And so they did. And I went. I was, and, and, and then, and then it, it goes around a few more twists and turns in my career. So then I was spiritual care counselor. Then they cut that out. I was addiction counselor. Then they cut, closed the, the treatment program because insurance didn't pay for it. Then I was the nicotine dependency counselor for five years. Then I was hospital chaplain for 11 years. And then in the middle of that, by accident, I wound up part-time in the parish here at Our Blessed Savior. Ten years later, I wound up by accident in the parish at St. John. None of that did I foresee in my initial calling. None of that was according to what I thought I was going to be doing. But you know what? When I look backwards... It all turned out the way it was supposed to turn out. And I think that things spiritual are only seen in the rearview mirror. We rarely recognize something spiritual when it's happening. We only see it in retrospect and then go, oh, 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 that's how that fit together. Okay, good. If we are open to God's calling, some interesting and exciting things might happen, but they won't be bad and you won't hate it and, and it will be uh, exciting and enjoyable, just like it was for Peter and Andrew. So when we hear the phrase, follow me, let's be open to that. When we're nudged by God's Spirit, give it a shot. What's the worst that can happen? You have an exciting and fulfilling life. Amen.
Now may the peace of God, which passes all understanding, keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Amen.